Welcome to Learning to Fly, an Inspire Group podcast. Join our CEOs, Aidan Stote, Stu Neighbor, and Ulrika Brunner as they discuss learning, leadership, change, and more. Inspire Group, because better learning is life-changing. Welcome, everybody. Uh, got an awesome guest with us today. This is Damien Woods, who's the chapter lead of learning and growth at 7-Eleven. Um, previously, Damien was the senior manager for learning delivery at ANZ and had a whole team of 90 people based in six countries. And before that, he was the general manager for learning at NAB, accountable for the end-to-end running of L&D at NAB, which involves, as you can imagine, a whole lot of things. And as well as that, if that wasn't enough, um, I spent a number of years as a fitness coach for the AFLR umpires. So uh, the man likes to take plenty on. So it's great that he's managed to squeeze us into his busy schedule today. Thanks, Damien. Great to see you, man. Nice to be here, Stu. Thanks for the uh, intro. And just to reverse the order of ANZ and NAB, ANZ came before NAB. ANZ came before NAB. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk yep. a little bit about that as well. So, yeah, as you as you know, I'm always keen, and, you know, especially over the last three or four years as, as everything kind of changed the way that we worked previously to the way we're working now in many cases, that, that sort of um, people talk about learning culture a lot more now maybe than they did five ten years ago which i think is a great thing in terms of what that means i'm keen to i'm keen to sort of uh get your take on it but before we get into that how's the learning function in 7-eleven maybe set up differently to the ANZs and the NABs because i know we've done a bit of work with you in 7-eleven and i know that the the first time i think you're the only business that we've worked with with this term like the chapter lead and this chapter and stuff and so that might have people wondering listening to this what is a chapter lead what's up what is a chapter so how is learning the, the learning how does the learning function exist in 7-eleven maybe a little bit different to how you've experienced it in other places um it's a good question Stu. i suppose first and foremost why we exist is the same as it is for everywhere so you know we're here to help the business perform and through our business to meet its strategic objectives and so the why is very clear and that's that's no different than learning in any business um how we go about it is probably quite different um and this is not just learning uh function it's it's um lots of different functions or chapters across the business um but we organize ourselves in um skills groupings uh, called chapters or craft groupings called chapters. So all the learning people, we call it learning and growth, L and G, they sit together in a chapter. And as the chapter lead, I um, play a particular role with them. Um, I do all the tactical people leader stuff, um, et cetera. Um, but a primary focus of my role is to help them grow their crafts uh, and to get better at what they do as well as to set that strategic direction and vision for um, what will we be doing next year and the year after that and help uh, our, ourselves navigate towards that. And I think it's a really interesting time when you think about, you know, the disruption of AI and, and learning is going to be a, a, um, heavily disrupted by that, how we reshape our value proposition and stay relevant for the business for the future. So I, I help navigate that. Um, the learning people then all sit in different squads and the, it's the squads where what they work on gets defined. So I don't 
I don't yeah. define what my, my people work on. Their product owner in their squad does. Now, product owner is not um, the the boss, if you like, of the squad, but they play a role in the squad where um, they they set what are called OKAs, ob objectives and key results. So what is it we're going to deliver in the next quarter? And then you've got a grouping of people with different skill sets who can get the work done and we leave it up to them to get it done. So I, I work with the product owners to make sure they've got the, the skill set that they need and that the people, the learning people are, are going well in the squad. And if there are things that I can do to help them, I do that. Um, but I don't set their work. Um, I work with the POs who do that. So that's that's really quite different than how it would be in a normal normal business. We, um, we don't um, have layers and layers and layers of hierarchy. We're, we're a relatively flat organisation. If I'm a learning person in, in different squads, how do you, and I guess with the feeds into the next part, how do you get sort of, I guess, obviously, cross-collaboration or sharing of ideas between different learning people? How, how often do they come together and how do you facilitate that in terms of, I guess, that sort of, hey, we're doing this thing in this squad, this is a good idea, let's bring it over to this one. How does how do you make that happen? Because yeah. I imagine it's, it's uh, again, lots of squads that are all spread out, dispersed in different places, everyone's working on different things. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. So... Um, Often there's more than one learning person in the squad. So we have probably one squad, there are five, the, the squad that supports our store network. So we've got eight and a half, nine thousand people out there. So there's a lot of learning needs that need to be serviced there. So they got they work together with their peers in that environment. Um, then we do what are called chapter syncs every sprint. We come together, uh, all the learning people, for 90 minutes to two hours every two weeks to talk shop. Oh, nice. um, so we talk about what we're working on and then we, we'll focus on ourselves and our craft. And, um, you know, um, to give an example, we had a chapter sync yesterday afternoon. Um, I had a number of my guys attend a, um, a conference in, in Melbourne, EduTech conference in Melbourne a couple of weeks back. And so they all came back and debriefed what they'd listened to, who they who they'd seen speak, what they learnt, any any um, slides that they could bring back. So we spent two hours going through, um, you know, what's the latest happening in, in um, uh, educational technology. Um, so there's that that sync that we do. I do one on ones with my people every two weeks. So I sit down with them every sprint and talk about their work and. Um, where it makes sense, connect the dots for people. So if someone's working on X and someone's working on Y and I think they should talk to each other, I make sure um, they do that. And then we do other things um, as well where the chapter leads and product owners come together and, and talk shop uh, on a monthly basis as well. It's an agile ceremony called a POCLAC product owner, chapter lead, agile coach coming, again, connecting the dots for people. So we, we try and build... Um, ways of collaborating into how we work um, and do that really, really regularly. Yeah, nice. Well, that, that feeds really nicely into, because you've sort of talked about your role being around, um, you know, responsible, you know, helping with the, I guess, the growth and, you know, in terms of it's less to do, less to do with the what of people but more how they're doing it and how do you move them on to the next stages and things like that, which for me is a key part of, of what learning is about. So, when we talk about learning culture, and obviously, you know, you've had that experience over a number of years and seeing different cultures operating. What's your take on, I guess, what's what is what does learning culture to mean mean to you, and what are the key things that define it or are part of it? 
Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, I'll, I'll start at a more macro level and say, look, we we transformed this business to a fully agile business. Um, we're two and a half years in, so we went live with that in March 2021. One of the reasons we changed the way we work was we wanted to accelerate innovation, speed to market, and we've got some burning platforms for our business. We know that we have to plan for. So we're a petrol and convenience retailer. We know that petrol won't be a product that we sell in the future because EVs will take that that part of our um, product offering away. And that's a big, big part of our revenue today. So we have to plan for a business that has a different value proposition for customer. So we set ourselves business objectives to transform and then decided agile ways of working was how we wanted to work to get there. And one of the reasons agile was so attractive to us was it builds um, learning into how people work, um, experimentation, testing, being okay with things that don't work, but learning from them and iterating them. And in fact, you know, um, breaking work down into sprints really gives you a chance to build a little bit, test it, reflect on it, iterate, change it, and repeat, repeat, repeat. So building smaller bits of value regularly, testing it with your customer, um, gathering feedback, learning. So it's it's part of the DNA of agile ways of working. Um, we, we also double down on a couple of things that are really important. So in terms of learning culture, um, uh, Nigel Payne and Michelle Ockers, and I think Nigel's work primarily, but they uh, did some work with the two of those guys a little while ago. They've got a nice diagnostic and there are 10 dimensions that they look at um, to say, um, what does your learning culture look like? We we do something similar. So when um, we started our agile ways of working, um, every quarter, every squad does um, an agile health indicator. And that was 15 measures of how is agile living and breathing in our business. And we sit down for a good two to three hours with the people we do our work with. And we discuss things like psych safety. Is the psych safety high in the squad? In other words, people feel safe to have an opinion, to be able to disagree, um, for things not to work. We, we ask, is there a culture of experimentation? We ask, is there a culture of continuous learning? So we go through these areas, 15 different dimensions. Some of them are a little bit hard, more hardcore agile, but there are a lot of them that sort of shine a light on, are we getting the cultural mix right for, for learning to be how, um, how we go about stuff here? And if we're not, what are we going to do to fix it? Now, just having that conversation on a quarterly basis is incredibly powerful. The first, the first one I did in the squad I was in initially was all going really smoothly until we got to psych safety and the room went cold um, and sort of blindsided me. I wasn't the product owner. I was just a member of that squad. But, you know, it was um, Houston, we have a problem here. And we didn't leave the room until we put it on the table um, and it was really uncomfortable and it was really awkward, but we committed to, to um, leaning into it and, and doing something about it. And it made a radical difference. Um, so when you talk regularly about the things that matters and, you know, the research into psych safety and the linkages to learning culture, are very, very clear and well established. And so 
you can't expect it will just happen. You've got to be deliberate about it. And so it's one of the things I like about here. We are deliberate about it. We talk about it and we grapple with things that are difficult if they're not working. I mean, yeah, there's so much, there's so much good stuff in what you just said in terms of, apart from the experimentation and the importance of failure and making mistakes and reflecting and learning from them, I think just that idea of talking about stuff and having things out in the open and transparent and and it's sort of like, as you said, it's going to be, it's like with anything, it's going to be uncomfortable, but the more you do it, um, in terms of it becoming part of your ritual, part of your, I know you talk about rituals a lot in terms of your operating rhythm, um, people yeah. you know, suddenly go, look, we're still going to have hard conversations, but we're going to get, those hard conversations will be easier the more often we have them. Yeah, that that getting used to being uncomfortable, I think, is really critical. And that's not just true for here. I think that's every business. Um, if if you feel like you've got a handle on everything and everything's going swimmingly, you're probably you know going to get blindsided by something. There's got to be tension in the system in in modern business because change is so constant. When you when you arrived at Seven Eleven, what what were the were these things in place or what were the key things that you, when you looked at the, I guess, the learning culture and the positive things and the things that needed to happen, what were the things where you said, well, sometimes it's just baby steps, let's get started and do these things. What were the, because um, I know that things changed, you know, quite a bit short, you know, around the time that you were, that you joined. What were, what were your key yeah. positive things that really, I guess, got the ball moving in terms of getting it, I guess, getting it to where it is now? What were the key things back in the start? Because sometimes someone listening to this, sometimes in terms of a learning culture, it's like, where do I start? If I have to start doing yeah. two or three things, what, from your perspective, made a real difference when you joined? Um, so I was lucky enough, I joined for the transformation. So I was a yeah. extreme leader transformation and I was here to build our agile muscle. So people who had new roles helped them be good at those roles and the whole business to understand agile ways of working and to build the ability to leave work on a Friday, having experienced work one way and come to work on a Monday and do things absolutely yeah. differently. So that was that was pretty cool. And I'd been at ANZ when ANZ were doing it as well, but the, the scale of ANZ relative to our support office, chalk and cheese, and so we move a million miles an hour relative to a big bank. So we did the whole business all at once. The program took six months and then we were working agile. Um, the thing for me to focus on um, is probably habits. So what... Um, agile ways of working does is create some consistency in that every two weeks there are particular things that always happen. So every two weeks you start by planning what's the work we're going to deliver in the next two weeks, who's going to do what, and then on a daily basis you come together really quickly and you say, okay, what's on today? Anyone need help? Any blockers for people? Then at the end of it you do a, what's called a retrospective. You, you look back and say, well, how did we go? What worked? What didn't? What do we learn from that? What are we going to take forward? So there are habits that you build. And it's interesting watching this business now two and a half years down. Our habits are very different. We've had some time um, for them to sort of really gel and stick. Um, but that people don't change comfortably and they don't change quickly. And so you got to um, commit to going the distance um, but then you can have it stack, right? So um, 
James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, is great for this exactly. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. anchor it to something. Yeah. Yeah. So we, on the back of retros, which everyone is very, very used to, and they know how, you know, they do one every two weeks. Um, I wanted to get people um, using reflective practice and shared reflective practice as part of the learning culture here. So we, um, once a quarter now in chapters, do a learning retro. And so the chapter comes together and everyone individually talks through what were my development focus areas in the last quarter? How did I go about it? What did I learn? What worked and what didn't? And you do that within your chapter with your peers. Um, first time we did that, people felt a little bit uncomfortable, felt a yeah. bit strange, never yeah. had ever done it before. Now it's par for the course. And when you ask people about, do you get benefit in, in having that conversation? It's really, really clear. People get a, a lot out of it. The other thing that it drives is when you listen to your peers talk about their development and growth, it gives you ideas. And so when oh, we, then we follow we follow we that follow up that. development conversation uh, in the next month. Um, so um, building the right habits. Um, and again, there are some there are things that you can do that you I mean you don't need to be an agile business, um, but those things are sort of clear to me that um, they really, really help foster the culture that you're looking for. What's, and, and, and as you said, you're building muscle memory in a way, like as you said, it's like people, people human beings, we're not very good at self-reflection, looking back, it's sort of like we're always sort of in the now or looking forward. So it can take, as you said, it can take, um, it's something that has to be practised to get mm. better at. You've just got to keep on doing it. Um, from mm. the habit side of things, I'd like to, uh, can you share? Are there any um, are there any habits that have really stuck and have stuck really well, and they might have taken a while, but now they're really going, they're really humming. Like it's what are the what are the habits for you that have that maybe again Seven Eleven being very different to other places. This this habit might not work in other places, but it works here. Yeah. Uh, look. So I mean, we've got our our ways of working. So there are five sort of key ceremonies that we do every sprint, which are fairly well embedded. The the learning retros, which I talked to, we've built that habit now. Um, it took a couple of cycles to get there, but we've we've done it. Um, we so I sort of talk about the scaffolding um, for learning and learning culture in the business um, being. Um, um, every sprint, you get a one on one with your people leader. Um, that's something that's um, a must, a must do. And so we pushed to make sure that happened. You should have a, a chapter sync every month learning. We do two a month because we, yeah. we really enjoy them. But to make sure they were happening, um, we ask people um, in, in our, we do it every fortnightly sort of people pulse. And so we, we checked. So people knew it mattered because we were asking about it. And our data shows now that they happen they, as they should be regularly. Um, we, we do the, the learning retro every quarter. We do development and career conversations every six months. And we measure all of those things. Um, and so that's, that's what we call our table stakes now. And the next bit is to get really um, good quality in each of those. So good quality one-on-ones, good quality chapter syncs, good quality learning retros and, and development conversations. So build the habit 
and then focus on improving the quality of the outcomes in each of those. And we're sort of still on that journey. But um, so we, we, in terms of um, the role of the chapter lead who has to have the one-on-ones, we did you know a range of master classes with people like Charles Jennings and um, Catherine Lombardozzi um, uh, about how, how do you have a good one? What are some of the tools that you can use so that we're supporting our chapter leads? But as you have churn and you have some people leave and others come in, you've got to sort of repeat that. You can't sort of ex- expect it will be a set and forget scenario. Um, but I, I think the other habit is um, uh, experimentation um, because we ask about it every quarter in that agile health indicator we do in squads. If we're not doing it enough, it gets called out. Um, yeah. So um, that's another one for me. Now, again, I still think we're not perfect there, um, but you can see movement, delib- de- deliberate movement in the right direction. Experimentation, that whole thought around, hey, we need to, and sometimes you've got to move quickly and break things. We need to try things. And a lot of them yeah. won't work, but we'll figure it, we'll learn things from things not working. But uh, that's been yeah. one of the challenges that many learning cultures or learning within organisations have, that there's no room for failure. Failure is hidden. It's not good. You've got to get 100% on every test. There's this whole, yeah. uh, you know, it's uh, the, the, the number has to be perfect and getting things wrong is not what learning is about. It's actually, that's exactly what learning is about. So failing failing in a safe environment. Yeah. It's interesting. So, I mean, it's about um, minimising the the risk and that's not over-investing in something that won't work. So you take small, you make smaller bets and you build smaller pieces and if they don't work, then you're not really losing too much. And then it's doubling down on, so if it didn't work, what do we learn? So it's extracting the learning. So those two parts are really important. Don't overinvest in something if you're not sure about it. And it's kind of why Agile grew up, right? So tech technology companies worked out that um, if you build the, the finished product and you don't check along the way and the customer doesn't want it, you've wasted all of that time. But if you're bringing the customer in the small loops along the way, you make, you're de-risking it, you're making sure it's something that will create value for your customer and you're continually having these learning loops as you make something better and better through the process. So small bits of value delivered incrementally where you work out what works quickly and at low risk, low cost, constantly learning. And that's sort of the culture that you want. Um, Is that for you the key characteristics? And you put, you know, you've mentioned Agile quite a bit and I know you're a big proponent of a big fan of it. We work with lots of organisations and everyone kind of sometimes does agile differently or ways of working. Um, but mm. I think you've, the way you do it and your view of it is 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 a way that I think would resonate with a lot of people. And, and you've probably experienced an agile in different places. What are the key characteristics you've mentioned? You've talked about retros, ceremonies. People might not know what ceremonies mean. You might want to explain that a little bit. But what are the key characteristics that of Agile within 7-Eleven that maybe separates it from the banks or the bigger places that are also doing Agile? What makes 7-Eleven or the way you're doing it maybe a little bit specific to the 7-Eleven culture and environment? Uh, look, I think um, we, so when we were sort of positioning this uh, through the transformation, um, we said there's a, there's a structure 
there are ceremonies, there are ways of working, etc. We'll build the basics and then we've got to iterate and make it our own flavour. And I think that um, the, Agile is not one thing in lots of different places. It's many things in many different places. So you can, it's, and given what you're trying to build with your culture is this ability to iterate and adapt quickly when you need to. It's not a um, destination, it's a journey. You never have it right. You're always tweaking and adjusting it. Um, and so we, um, through our process, um, there are parts of it make sense in some parts, but parts of it that don't quite make sense in other parts. So our finance function is a very um, structured weekly, monthly, um, annual cycles where um, they still need to work that way because that's yeah. the way finance functions operate. And so some bits that we do in other parts of the business don't necessarily make sense over there. But the consistency is the mindset, right? It's always about is there a better way, a smarter way of doing this? Are we creating, you know, the most value that we can? Could we improve? And so that's what you want to permeate throughout the business. And I think that, again, because of our size, we've been able to do that um, relatively well. But you can't – you've got to nurture that. You've got to continue nurturing it to make sure – uh, it stays part of your business because um, you can just drift off course and then wake up six months down the track and say, actually, um, we're, we're a little bit, a little off, bit the off the mark. So you've got to, you've got to um, continue to monitor um, how you're tracking um, to, you know, to, to make sure you, you're, you're staying the course. Um, I think that, um, and, and again, I mean, I, I speak to my, um, ex-colleagues and friends at um, uh, places I've worked in, ANZ is one of those, and um, they they've likewise sort of um, gone in some different directions with their agile journey and um, the way they organise. I think some structures and roles are probably different there, but I would argue that they would be similar to us in that it's the mindset that comes first that you want to try and foster. And then how you get there um, is probably, you know, where you get that uniqueness. So if I'm listening to this today and a lot of the, and the stuff that you've been talking about has kind of piqued my interest in terms of, yeah, I think we should, I'd like to go agile, but either I don't have the capacity or capability in terms of going um, full agile. Um, yeah. What would your, what would your, um, suggestion be in terms of hey if you just do these two or three things to get you started it would make a difference in terms of you don't have to do everything but these are the mm. things that could can get you on your journey really easily yeah and I, look i've seen that so i mean nab wasn't an, an agile business but they had pockets where they were playing with um agile ways of working agile mindset and, and trying stuff so first of all is their willingness to experiment and you, and you don't need to be an agile business to do that in fact any business who's not experimenting is probably falling behind. And so um, you should talk deliberately about that. You should celebrate um, both good ideas that work, but ideas that didn't work as well. Um, I think you can um, uh, play with um, time-bound delivery. And so the idea of working in a sprint, say so I, I want to plan my work for the next two weeks and then... Um, then plan again for the following two weeks. And so you can play with that sort of um, iterative delivery. Um, the um, 
the rationale for a retro, in other words, let's reflect together. Let's look at what's worked and what hasn't. Um, there are versions of that. I mean, all businesses have got versions of that. So a post-implementation review, a PIR, is a reflective activity. It's a retrospective of, of sorts. We just do it every two weeks because that's how we break our work up. And so yeah. being a bit more deliberate about when you reflect on your work. Um, and then, I mean, the, the idea of the agile health indicator, if there are things and behaviours that matter to how teams work, then talk about them. Talk about them regularly and commit to focusing on areas that you're not happy uh, where they should be. Um, so if learning culture was a thing that you wanted to really focus on, um, I'd, I'd reach out to a, a Michelle Ockers or a Nigel Payne um, uh, uh, for their learning culture diagnostic and say, okay, we want to look for these things um, and we're going to talk about them. So, I, um, so there, there are things like that you can do as well. Um, the concept of, a, of a, um, a learning retro or a chapter sync, again, you don't need to be agile to do that. Um, learning teams uh, in any business can do them. Um, it's just about the discipline of being regular with them. Um, there are, um, everyone uses things like Miro these days. And so how do you run a retro? Well, there are Miro templates for that sort of stuff as well. There are lots of tools and templates in Miro. Um, for agile, and I, I use the term ceremonies. It's just um, it's it's a thing that we do. So a retrospective is an agile ceremony. Basically, it's everyone in the squad sitting down together for an hour and saying, "All right, what did we do in the last two weeks? What worked? What didn't? What are we going to learn? What are we going to take forward?" So yeah. that's a ceremony. There's a vernacular to agile, which is a little bit um, weird when you're new to it and uh, when you've been around for a couple of months. It's just um, how you talk. Um, but, you know, and it sounds like one of the key things is that it's, you know, one of the basics of just like, keep on talking about stuff with people and don't shy away from the pain point. It's like where if there's uncomfortability about things, go a little bit deeper in talking about them rather than just let's just talk about what we're doing great and and not really talk about the painful stuff because it's painful and we don't want to go there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um I think, I think it was Jay Cross said um, the greatest learning technology ever invented was the conversation. Um, and I just love that way of um, focusing on the value of people coming together. I mean, I, I always have in the back of my mind um, Josh Burson's model for learning behaviour, recognise, reflect, test, connect, apply. Um, underpinning that is interactions between people. Um um, and if you can build good habits around how you bring your people together to interact, um, you get value from it. Um, Agile just does it. Um, when we picked that up, it, it did a, the transformation did a lot of the hard work for me. I just sort of piggybacked um, off that and tried to optimise. Um, but I also, and I think this is a very important skill set for modern learning professionals, um, I sort of influence or evangelize as well. So I'm always talking about, um, you know, when you're doing that, that's you're learning it, you're learning while you do that. So I really yeah. drilled into, you know, you know please like, make the mental connection between a retrospective and learning. Please make the connection between a showcase and learning. Please make a connection between psych safety and learning. So I'm constantly reminding people um, of things that are 
really critical to learning, which they probably don't think about yeah. in the context of learning. Yeah, make the implicit explicit. Yeah. Hey, mate. Well, thank, look, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're a busy man and got a lot on, but uh, you're one of those people in the learning industry that I think everyone's kind of aware of and always respects your view and, and your passion about what you talk about, which is awesome. Um, I know that for anyone today listening to anything that Damien's talked about in terms of agile or learning culture, the way they do things and what's really working, um, if you want to go a little bit deeper on any, any of the stuff, Damien's on uh, LinkedIn. You can reach out to him. He's always uh, great at getting back in touch. And uh, I'm sure we'd be quite happy to chat with you if you've got questions about anything that's come up today. So thank you so much for your time, mate. And um, yeah, we'll talk soon. Eh? Have a great day. Thanks, Jude. Enjoyed it. All right, mate. Cheers, buddy. Learning to Fly is produced by the Inspire Group team. You can find us online at inspiregroup.net. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on your podcast app.